for once. And it's ironic because we're talking about the church here. For once, it's time to set aside moralizing discourse in favor of acknowledging the incalculable value of these materials for understanding of the Irish experience in the past and in the present. You are listening to To Preserve and Protect Contemporary Issues in Irish Cultural Heritage A podcast series from the Royal Irish Academy funded by the Heritage Council To listen back to other episodes in the series check out the page on the Royal Irish Academy's website at ria.ie Professor John McCafferty is a lecturer at the School of History at University College Dublin, where he is also director of the Mihal O'Cleary Institute for the Study of Irish History and Civilization. His podcast is entitled In Time of Inquisition, Preserving and Using the Archives of the Irish Catholic Church. Church archives and the records of ecclesiastical bodies, such as religious orders of priests, nuns and brothers, are what stitches together the rent and ragged fabric of Irish history. Their importance is accentuated by the hole burnt in the collective memory of the inhabitants of this island during the Holocaust at the Four Courts site in 1922. They are, for the most part, uncharted, uncatalogued and highly vulnerable. At the same time, they represent the best chance for Irish historians to break free from the intellectual and evidential bindings created by decades and decades of obsessive concentration on the past as merely past politics or as a vehicle for a poorly articulated heritage industry. Yet a mist of fear hangs over these rich records of this island's past. The owners of these documents are afraid, archivists are afraid, readers and researchers are afraid. All of these anxieties have different origins, Many of these anxieties are in direct conflict with each other. This weight of worry is itself in danger of, in itself, causing particular damage, which in turn might cause an acceleration of the very clear issues of access, preservation, dissemination and use of church records that have been achingly obvious for quite some time now. I want to anatomise some of these fears. I also want to suggest what lies behind them. And I also want to think about how we think about church records, whether we are religious or not. There is one fear everybody shares, the fear of loss. After all, what does survive and how do we handle it? The scary answer to the first question is that we don't have a clue. This is hardly surprising in a country where the 1922 fire was just one in a long series of paper conflagrations arcing from Henry VIII's dissolution of the monasteries to a terrible and disastrous 18th century burning of public records in the Birmingham Tower of Dublin Castle. This is also a country where, until 1829, Catholicism was underground, covert and prescribed, and where deletion and dispersal of records became ingrained ways long after the last penal law left the statute book. Today, Ireland has 26 Catholic dioceses and over 120 still-functioning bodies of religious men and women. 
The clergy are ageing and they are yoked to a subsiding infrastructure. They are tired and uncertain. Most female congregations are headed for extinction and they face all the questions that come with legacy management. Many other religious orders will fade away to becoming a very slight local representation of bodies whose presence is strong in what were once the mission territories for the Irish Church. And among all of these communities there is a great diversity of attitudes, traditions and record-keeping practices. Immense tasks lie ahead. These are tasks which everyone interested in Ireland's past must take on. Otherwise there is a risk of imperiling or losing entirely the cultural patrimony of Ireland's largest and most influential church. As it is today, provision in dioceses and religious orders, and it is very important to recall here that these are all privately owned repositories, provision in dioceses and religious orders ranges from no archivist whatsoever to an in-house professional. Some archives are just papers in tea chests, and many archives are run by part-time, unqualified custodians. In many instances, even outline lists or descriptions do not yet exist. There has been no systematic or effective appraisal of church records, nor has there been a full cataloguing of diocesan records. This lack of listing threatens not only preservation, but also overall access. So how can provision for readers be made if it isn't even known what there is for them to read in the first place? Then there is also a huge variety in what the orders themselves would like. Some wish to provide purely internal or private paths to access. Many others are open to advice or external participation. Still others would like to cluster their papers with other church bodies. Some others, still, would like to deposit their entire archive in a university subject to robust agreements and protocols. As it is, a number of orders, both male and female, and several dioceses, have worked hard to make their rich deposits accessible for the resurgent interest in such material. These include Jesuits, Capuchins, Franciscans, Spiritans, Presentation Sisters, Loretto Sisters, Mercy Sisters, Dominicans, the Diocese of Limerick, Mead Diocese, and the Dublin Archdiocese. Many others, realising their responsibilities, are now moving fast. And in recent years, the Association of Church Archivists in Ireland has supported professionalisation of religious repositories. Respect for the sources is a first principle of both historical research and archival practice. This means understanding how and why they were generated in the first place. It also means not confusing cataloguing with reorganisation. Records are, and were, living paper and digital organisms. They must not be cut up, purged, annotated, nor internally redacted. So when thinking about the future of the past, it's worth adopting a simple, pragmatic slogan. There are records. Those records have to be read. But there are severe temptations out there for record keepers and record readers. For readers, it is often easy to be blind and deaf to the contents of the archives. It is easy to bring your theories and theses into the reading room with you. After a decade and more of disclosures, it is easy to be enticed by invective. Such readings make the record keepers fearful. 
In their turn, of course, the owners of religious records can be just as deaf and blind and prize rebuttal over truth. Much of this particular knot of fear, a fear of what might grow out of close scrutiny of records, is a result of a set of overlapping cultural problems. This deserves to be thought about as much as the practicalities of staffing, climate control, finance and future-proofing. So then, to think a little about cultural issues. What about the readers? That is, all researchers, historians and the like. Many of these have an astonishingly normative view of Irish Catholicism. This is, in part, a hangover from the Church's apotheosis in the late 19th and 20th centuries. Features of this mindset include total failure to recognise Irish Catholics as just a subset of a global organisation with over a billion adherents. An organisation which has had well over a millennium to reflect on itself. Many people write about the Catholic Church as if it were a purely Irish phenomenon. A version of history in which the Church is simply another political party led by men in dresses and pointy hats. Most markedly, there is a profound, and to be totally honest, vast disregard for the intellectual expressions and traditions of Christianity. In order to understand church archives, historians and others need to reflect on these materials as the written expressions and remains of communities of faith, as archives of the intangible. If you want to work in archives in Paris, it's best to learn French. You are not required to become a French citizen. If you want to engage in church archives, it's best to know something about its interior languages of canon law and theology. But this does not require one to become a believer. Here lurks what has been a corrosive self-infantilization. So many historians of Ireland were cradle Catholics. They assume that because they attended Mass, whispered their childish confessions, or served at the altar, that they actually know this church and this religion. A quick survey of writings on 19th and 20th century Ireland will turn up almost zero references to canon law as the church's formal legal functioning. There is a desperately marked lack of engagement with theological issues of any kind, not even moral theology, except to say that it existed, so much so that a recent influential book on Irish sexuality contained no index reference to Augustine of Hippo, whose thinking profoundly shaped all Western attitudes to sex and gender. I can think of no other field of inquiry where the practitioners are happy to take 12-year-old understandings of their subject into the laboratory or library, or, as in this instance, into the laboratory of history, the archive. Now, it's important to make a balancing point. Such reflexively anti-intellectual, enculturated views of Catholicism are not present among professional historians alone. They are just as easily detected among politicians and journalists, as well as clerics and even some theologians. Now to turn to the record keepers. What about them? Why are there still so many problems of access? Whose fault is that? From as early as the Synod of Thurlis in 1850, through to the codifications of canon law in 1917 and 1983, the Church has insisted on proper record keeping centralised archives and careful provision for registers and other formal documents such as declarations of marriage tribunals. 
1999, and again in 2006, a Pontifical Commission for the Patrimony of the Church, quoting the second letter to Timothy 4.13, where it says, Bring me the books, and above all, the manuscripts. This commission entirely reconceptualized the very notion of archives in ecclesial settings. In a series of letters, it pushed parishes, bishops, and consecrated men and women away from legacy management, or even from rebuttal fantasies or evasions, to move to a positive place. A place that resonated with their own fundamental self-understanding of their purpose. So in the official Vatican view, archival care, dissemination, and advocacy became an active pastoral initiative. Yet archival provision is still patchy, though it appears to be driven by, and is certainly often excused by, lack of financial resources and declining manpower. And in fairness, archives are not the priority of the still active clergy and religious. Would-be readers must appreciate that. Nonetheless, basic inventories, a positive requirement both of canon law and insisted on by the Pontifical Commission, are more absent than present in Ireland. Compounding this situation are the exigencies of retreat and of closure. So, while the Pontifical Commission stipulated in 2006 that particular attention should be paid to goods of cultural value from suppressed religious houses, close-downs, withdrawals and handovers to lay bodies have compounded the swirl of chaos and confusion around these documents of immense historic value. Before leaving this topic, it is only fair to say that the Church's own dissemination of its intellectual patrimony has been patchy. First, there was a bias towards keeping theology as an in-house language to be spoken by priests. This, in turn, funneled professional theologians into institutes which, because of the NUI 1908 ban on theology, kept theology bound up to churchy spaces. The contrast to continental Europe, most especially Germany, could not be sharper. So what about the Irish state? Depending on your viewpoint, you might describe the relations between the independent Irish state and the Catholic Church as anything from cosy to cringing. This is now flipped. It's now an investigative and inquisitorial one. This has big implications for the archives. Yet despite the often acrimonious shift from best pals to spiky exes, there is an odd mirroring of one of these Irish bodies by the other when it comes to record-keeping. Even the central archival repository of this republic, the National Archives of Ireland, lacks basic inventories of much material and they have many piles of unsorted papers due to under-resourcing. Away from the centre, the state, just like the church, boasts a lack of local archives. The number of local authority archives is not far off that of the number of functioning diocesan archives. And that number is, quite frankly, far too few. As with the ecclesiastical world, the state has made almost no active provision for suppressed entities such as former departments, urban district councils, right down to their closed schools and hospitals. The state's internal record-keeping, it is not unfair to say, is a triumph of accidental, maybe on purpose, obfuscation. So the Irish Church, in parts, and the Irish state, in parts, often ignore their own internal directives and record-keeping, transparency and accessibility of record with gleeful abandon 
and wretchedly poor provision. All of this points, perhaps, to some deeper twitchiness about archives. Is it a post-colonial condition, a memory of official record as an instrument of control, a control not matched by prior consent, or is it something else? Well, whatever it is, it is helpful to consider the issue of church archives as part of a bigger cultural quandary. This might pave the way for an open acknowledgement of fears and prejudices by all parties as a prequel to a solution that will preserve and open up abundant treasures. It would be very, very nice to speak about church records without summoning up the sad spectres of historic abuse. But that would be a denial. Investigations must happen. Investigations must be facilitated. But investigations are engagements with archives, not definers of them. Investigators are just readers with a special mandate. They are still readers. Their duty is to avoid bringing an instrumentality to their work which threatens to disrupt or discontinue the delicate ecology of the archive. Their right is to be facilitated as far as possible. Their duty is to have an informed and sensitive approach to the archive as the incarnation of a particular culture. Their right is to form their own conclusions without hindrance. Owners of church archives see themselves as private persons with a special mandate, but they are still owners. Their duty is to deploy their best means to supporting and sustaining accessibility. Their right is to a respect for their efforts and for the constraints within which they work. Their duty is to comply with the law of the land insofar as it applies to their materials. Their right is to the privacy of their own personal data and to a presumption of innocence. Between the owners or generators of the church archive and the readers, researchers and investigators come the archivists. Archivists in ecclesiastical settings, whether they are lay people or religious people themselves, need to remind the public at large of their special role as custodians. Everybody interested in the historical records of faith communities needs to be sensitive to the weave of ethics, legislation and practicality which makes up the life of the working archivist. Archives are always a shared challenge. Archives are always a golden opportunity. In 2018, in Ireland, church archives shared the urgent needs of so many other repositories. A need for rescue, a need for inventory, a need for physical and digital preservation, a need for careful handling, a need for love and appreciation. But now, in 2018, church archives need something more, something much more than all that. They need their keepers and users to put an end to fear. They need their keepers and users to put an end to suspicion. Keepers and users need to examine their own cultural presumptions, their own uninformed assumptions, and their own self-delusions. For once, and it's ironic because we're talking about the church here, for once it's time to set aside moralizing discourse in favor of acknowledging the incalculable value of these materials for understanding of the Irish experience in the past and in the present. To acknowledge value will inculcate respect, unleash energy, and foster real solutions. Church records preserve the names of hundreds of thousands of Irish people. They all deserve remembrance. Their past stories 
now lie in the hands of our present actions. What we do now and how we do it will decide the future of Ireland's extra-precious ecclesiastical archives. Thanks for listening to To Preserve and Protect Contemporary Issues in Irish Cultural Heritage a podcast series from the Royal Irish Academy funded by the Heritage Council. This podcast series was produced by Real Smart Media. To listen back to other episodes in the series, check out our page on the Royal Irish Academy's website at ria.ie.